Pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. Kids are stealing all my pennies Focused on my wealth You can help me wish But I would rather wish the help was like It's like I wish, I wish That every time we love and it feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we do it it feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we love and it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels I wish I had a time machine Wish I had a better rhyming speed Wish that I could speak to giants After climbing up a green stalk That grew from my lime bean I wish that I could spread my wings yeah. I wish that I had seven limbs yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything And laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things I wish I spoke fluent Spanish Dímelo, dímelo At least I kinda understand it <laughs> Wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit And get so large I could play pool with the planets Yeah I wish I was an astronaut I wish I knew more classic rock <laughs> Focused on myself You can help me wish But I would rather wish for help It's like, it's like I wish, I wish That every time we love it It feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we do it It feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we move it It feels just like this feels just like this It's just, it's like, like who the thunk it? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference. Make assumptions, it ain't nothing new. Fucking my fucker, you. I'll be truly to these rappers, niggas last in love loop. Don't go stupid, but then they can't align our rights. Two J's and I'm not nobody. Good time, singing in a chapter. Waking for a hot meal, lighting up the comma. Looking for a hot meal, about to start a doctor. Malik, yeah, silicon, meet it like a doctor. Kicks like 808, kicks like 808. I ain't trying to say it again. Hey, hey, look, I try to tell them that I made it out the garbage With a dollar and a promise And I turn both of my pockets Stand in middle of the Help me stop it You ain't never doing what you say you're doing Yeah, you dropped that Russian on ride Like we was making movies yeah. I wish, I wish Every time we do it, it feels yeah. so I wish, I wish Every time we move in the feels Move in the feels like, like I wish, I wish Every time we love in the feels Okay, hello cats and kittens. That's much better. It's good to be back. I'm sorry I missed you last week. I was attending a friend's wedding um, and I know I missed a lot of news so we won't dilly dally. We'll get right to it this week. I pre-recorded an episode with Professor uh, Fidel Kaboob, who has been on the show before. He's an MMT economist who I find to be one of the best communicators about why it is that 
regardless of who's in office, there seem to be a very limited range of approaches to economic problems like the inflation that everyone's talking about or everybody was talking about before I left for vacation and the news cycle shifted. But as you can tell from the title of this episode, um, I'm also open to talking about the most recent Kamala Harris foibles. Um, there was some kind of, uh, agita coming out of the hill that created its own little news cycle last week over Jordan Co- uh, Peterson's, um, comments about Elliot Page and his subsequent Twitter ban and the reactions to some, by some of my co-hosts. Um, you know, it's a lot. Whatever you guys want to talk about, let's just get started. Tom, you're up first. What's on your mind? Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, loud and clear. All right. Uh, okay. First off, um, one, when are you going on real time with Bill Maher? <laughs> I mean, he's gotten crystal ball and a bunch of other people, so I don't, I don't see why not you. Two, happy you're going back to Rising on the Hill. The show is, it's, it's all right most of the time, but, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> It was, uh, it was a little contentious last week. It you know, looked a little uncomfortable for Robbie at certain points. I kind of got, like, secondhand. I started to feel bad for him a little bit. You said uh, you feel bad for Robbie? Why? Well, okay, so mostly, I mean, maybe this sounds weird, and maybe this is just me being too online, but I genuinely kind of hate libertarians more than just about any right-wing ideology. I, I just think it's awful. And so Robbie kind of embodies, like, that wing of politics. I don't hate him personally. Obviously not. I I don't even know the guy. I mean, he's got a right hair. Um, (laughs) But, like, Oliemi was on there. And, you know, for the most part, I I think I would sync up with her politically. But um, she was, like, she's very punchy. You know, you could tell she's really witty. She's good, like, kind of off the cuff. You know, she shoots from the hip. She's really fast. And Robbie kind of almost seemed a little unprepared at times. Like, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I started to feel bad for him after a while. Not even, like, in a condescending way. But my mother was a teacher. My brother was an attorney. So I know what it's like to argue with people who are, like, sharper than me. And, like, even when you feel like you're right, that frustration kicks in. Like, oh, I can't get my words off fast enough. Anyway. <laughs> That's a tangent. That's interesting. I feel like if I were watching someone, uh, two people debate, and one were more ideologically aligned with me and was kind of revealing the limits of the other person's argument, I would consider that to be a win, no? Yeah, that that, that was like the weird thing. Like, because normally, you know, I, like I'm just, on. let's be honest, it's the hill. It's, it's a little more right-leaning than left-leaning. And God forbid you delve into the YouTube comments section, which... Is my guilty pleasure. I, I, on the low, love arguing in YouTube comment sections, but it's totally right wing. And so, mm-hmm. uh, getting Olayemi in there, I was like, "Yeah, man, she's gonna, she's just gonna slap down these fucking morons and all this other stuff." Robbie's not gonna be able to get away with all this right wing bullshit. And uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how to explain it. I, I guess I just kind of felt bad for him, especially the 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 segment on. Um, the Jordan Peterson band. That's why when you brought that up, that's what kind of uh, reminded me of it. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, well, we can talk about that. And I hope to be able to do some follow up with um, if one, if not both of my Hill hosts and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully a good trans leftist that I'm still trying to source. So if people have suggestions and who can come and engage in that conversation. What I what I like what I would like to do. And you guys let me know what you think about this. 
I largely, obviously, I align with Ole in that um, align me in that conversation. But I do was frustrated by the fact that there wasn't an engagement with the argument that was being made by Kim and Robbie. So there was a lot of conversation about how you should respect people's pronouns, which I think was accepted by all parties relevant and, and an admission that Jordan Peterson was acting like a real asshat and bigot and intentionally misgendering Elliot page. But everyone on the panel kind of agreed about that or explicitly agreed about that. But the conversation stayed there instead of addressing the question about what we think about Twitter playing the role and deciding who should get banned from the platform or not based on various kinds of hate speech is saying the N word also going to get you a block is saying various other racial or or religious epithets going to get you a block or, or, you know, uh, kicked off of Twitter is saying, I want to go kill some Russians. Like people say all the time these days, going to get you a block from Twitter. And are we in this place again, where we're ceding authority to this, you know, these administrators who historically have not done a very good job policing these parameters in a way that doesn't disproportionately hurt the left. Even if, we find what Jordan Peterson has said to be abhorrent in this instance. So that's that's a part of the conversation I'd still like to have um, and hopefully we'll be having in the future. But I don't mean to derail your question. What did you specifically want to call and talk about today, Tom? Okay, so uh, this is this draws back to uh, one of your previous episode um, when you brought that uh, very charming British fellow on uh, Ukraine and everything. Um Here's the thing I've, I've kind of been conflicted about. I'll be honest. I'm finding myself with the downtime I have recently reading a lot about Ukraine and kind of having a hard time swallowing some of the anti-interventionist rhetoric about Ukraine. Like, it's not so much that I don't agree with them. It's just I have like a rev- like with like a how I hate libertarians. I, I promise I won't drone on too long. I have a real revulsion when it comes to like tankies. You know, and like you had, you know, you've had informative episodes with people like Ben Norton and stuff like that. I may be wrong, but to my knowledge, Benjamin Norton has some kind of seedy views about, you know, genocide in Ukraine historically under the Soviet Union and things like that. And I've watched hours of Chomsky's stuff too, but Chomsky himself has these kind of like, Eh, you know, statements on the Serbian genocide, the Khmer Rouge and stuff like that. I've just been kind of wondering, it really feels like if you want like a strong kind of principled anti-imperialist kind of critique, we wind up going to these like much more hardline people. And I'm not accusing them of being extremists. I I don't think they are at all. I, I don't know. I don't really know what I'm asking. Why is it that it seems like a principled kind of like, hey, look, intervention in Ukraine may not be all that, is, like, absent from the more moderate left. And I can't really figure out why it's so hard. Like, you just can't find a big critic of the war in Ukraine that, let's be honest, is not funded by, like, some, like, basically RT or the Russian state. And I I don't know. Am I rambling? Well, isn't Benjamin Norton – Benjamin Norton isn't RT – Right? No, no. I'm I'm specifically thinking of uh, Abby Martin, um, who I watched. Right. Well, even even Abby Martin isn't RT anymore because their show got canceled. Right? Yeah, one hundred percent. She got canceled, but before her show was can- like, I don't. I, I'm really trying. I'm like, I really. Am no, look. I I understand what you're saying. You don't have to keep caveating it. Uh, I think the the point of the matter is though, 
you know, first of all, I don't think it's true that you can't find an anti-interventionist take that's not funded by someone you find to be unsavory. Um, I think it's hard to find a pro-Ukraine take that's not funded by the, the establishment, by corporate media. I could say that as well, right? Because everyone has to be funded by something unless they're just rich and frolicking down the street and saying and doing what they want. People need jobs. So I frankly don't engage in a lot of that they're funded by arguments because I think it disadvantages independent journalists who don't have mommy, daddy, or MSNBC willing to pay their bills. And, you know, someone can sit here and say, as they do often at this show, it's funny, you know, that Colin is a Peter Thiel outlet, and therefore anything that I say doesn't, you know, hold water, or that Patreon or Substack or whomever it is is unsavory the way that people have made a lot of those accusations about Substack, at least before every New York Times journalist had a Substack. And you can go round and round in circles. So is there substantively some something about what someone has said about the war in Ukraine and uh, an anti-interventionist take on it that suggests we should not fund it in perpetuity or that there needs to be a better rationale for why America is involved that you have um, a question about, that you are skeptical of for some specific reason? I guess um, I what really kind of always – it really doesn't worry me. It doesn't affect me at all besides, you know, the price of gas. But um, I guess to some extent, I worry about the precedent extent. Like there's a lot of, you know, obviously very kind of logical points on, look, do we want to be using Ukrainians as like cannon fodder, right? Do we want to continue this like forever war, proxy war with Russia, yet another proxy war with the Russians, you know, like it's Cold War 2.0. And, um, you know, I know there's a lot of good, like, arguments around that but i'm worried about the precedent it sets like do we just go to the ukrainians and you're like hey you know sorry like you're just gonna have to lose these two regions and yeah we all said russia wouldn't invade but uh they did so just give up the just give it up and just you know have faith that they won't you know march on to kiev in another 10 years or something like that i I don't know anything about this. I'm totally open to being wrong. But this is this is the question I kept. I've been asking for months now, and I like the to me the moral implications of of what happens in Ukraine, who's right and who's wrong, and all of that are secondary question to what what whether U.S. you know what's the metric for U.S. involvement. This isn't this isn't a conversation as far as I'm concerned about whether or not. Russia should invade Ukraine, whether Ukraine should fight back. It seems obvious that Russia shouldn't invade Ukraine and Ukraine should fight back. We're American. And so apart from just sitting on the sidelines and watching a war as a spectator sport, the question is, should America be involved? What and what role should America be involved in and why? And what sets this conflict apart from myriad conflicts all over the world which we've also had a hand in germinating and which also have various geopolitical implications for American citizens. Why are we all presuming that America's role on the planet is to be the policeman of the world? I agree 100%. I'm not yeah. even trying to be submissive or anything. I <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's just the fundamental question. And I and it, it frustrates me that there we it's it's very easy to hop to, okay, but why should we abandon Ukrainians? Well, I mean, if we're going to play that game, and not to be insensitive to Ukrainians, but 
why are we uh, uh, abandoning the children of Yemen? Why are we abandoning the thousands of victims of you know starvation and malaria and cholera, et cetera, all over the world? Why are we abandoning the people of the Amazon that continue to be poisoned by Chevron spill? Why are we aban- You know what I mean? We have we are the richest country in the world, and we have the ability to stop untold tragedies from happening overseas and domestically, and we don't. So, yeah. you know, the, the moral question is, you know, obviously I would argue that there was a moral obligation for the United States to do a whole heck of a lot of things. But I want to know why it is that Ukraine has become the focus of billions of dollars of U.S. intervention and aid and not other places. And especially when there are national political implications, because so many people in America are looking around and saying, OK, you just told me we didn't have the money for an infrastructure package that could sustain American families and, and, and fix roads that haven't been touched since they were built in the 1950s. But now you're sending billions of dollars of rocket launchers and military equipment to another country without clearly articulating why it is that this, this is the line in the sand. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, trust me, I, you know, I, I'm an operating engineer, I work in construction. I would love to get billions injected into infrastructure projects. It's just more work for me, more pay. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'll just shut up. And, uh, move on. <laughs> well, I never want you to shut up, Tom. I appreciate you calling in. Thank you. All right. Up next, Tosin, what's on your mind this afternoon? Tosin, can you unmute yourself? Tosin, it's the little mic button on the bottom right. Can you unmute yourself? If not, I'm going to move along, and I'll pull you back from the back of the line once you sort out whatever the technical issue is. Okie doke. Henry, you're up next. What's on your mind? Hello? Hello, Henry. I think that's Tosin. Oh, that's so weird. On my app, it looks like Henry. Yeah, me too, but it wasn't me that said hello, but it's Henry now. Oh, okay. So anyways, well, Henry. <laughs> thanks, thanks for <laughs> taking my shot. call. Yeah, of course. I, I just wanted to say a shout out to Dr. Janet Yellen for having the bigness to admit that she was completely wrong on inflation. Hmm. Well, not just her, but the Federal Reserve in general seems to have completely undershot the, their estimates in terms of where inflation ended up. Uh, and I think that uh, we, on the left, we should not let the libertarian right have a monopoly on criticizing the Fed, because it seems to me that the Fed now plays a larger role in the economy than the Congress does in terms of the amount of money that they hand out, more or less, to large banking institutions. And also... I believe that today is the five-year anniversary, I happened to see on Reddit, of some guy putting the buy Bitcoin sign behind Janet Yellen on live Mm. TV, I believe. And that just happened to come across my feed. And I noticed that uh, in that clip, they were talking about Janet Yellen being arguing against auditing the Fed, uh, which I think is something that Again, we shouldn't let the right wing have a monopoly on critiquing the Fed, even though Ron Paul may be sort of a nutcase. 
I think that critiquing the Fed is a popular thing that we ought mm -hmm. to look into. I mean, in 2020, I believe they printed like one out of every five dollars in existence. And I think that having the capacity to print our own money is a great privilege that we should use wisely. I don't think we're using it wisely. I think we're using it in a horrible way to loan the money to keep the richest people uh, stabilized and in control. And I think that the printing, because we've done it that way, has led to the situation in which there's been a huge long series of mergers and acquisitions that has created the sort of multi-monopoly situation where there's a sort of a not quite a monopoly, but a near monopoly situation in most of the major industries, uh, including especially like telecoms and medicine that has uh, led to the inflationary situation that we have these days. Mm -hmm. So I see it as kind of maybe not as much of a direct link as some people would see between printing the money and the inflation, but there's definitely a link that may or may not be that direct. Yeah, I mean, I think what I find most compelling about um, Professor Kaboob and what he got into in more detail the first time he came on the show was talking about exactly how inflation happens and how it's tied to those four sectors that he mentioned. And mm -hmm. I, I do think that to the extent that there's all this um, lack of confidence in government more broadly, the Fed, Federal Reserve's intervention specifically, it is because the whole thing is kind of cloaked in mystery or talked about in these really broad um, clumsy ways like oh we're just gonna create unemployment you know and there's a there's a way that you can exploit a kind of ignorance about cause and effect and which especially I think in the field of economics has been exploited to tell the public any number of fantasies about how the real world works and if anything mm -hmm. productive comes from this hyper focus on inflation right now I hope it is you're right that people are open to different kinds of critiques realize that you know everything is in a you know, hammer just because it looks like a nail because we don't understand the differences between things and that we'll right. have more sub substantive critique from, from the left as well. And just because the libertarian psychos love to hate the Federal Reserve doesn't mean that we need to defend it, basically. Yeah. As a kind of <laughs> knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> yeah, no, um, nobody should be reactionary. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, because like they, like you said, they about how they like to use obscure language. I mean, to put to put it in more like simpler terms, you know, Ben Bernanke has never offered me a billion dollar zero percent interest loan mm -hmm. to go play in the stock market with that I could infinitely continue to uh, roll over at zero percent. I mean, they it's almost like the reality of the situation is so mind-bendingly weird and or not just weird but bad that it is difficult to believe that they would just buy up these banks at quote-unquote assets mm -hmm. in a quantitative easing program that when you put it in like more simpler terms you just the mind just boggles it doesn't want to even believe yeah yeah i mean i think that's <laughs> right and look you you guys have all heard me stumble along and try to um, learn more about this and I, I struggle myself. So I appreciate all of you who keep making suggestions about podcasts to listen to 
um, and guests to have mm-hmm. on. And, you know, we'll keep trying to create for more sure. um, broader literacy, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, Crystal Ball seems to have a pretty good uh, line on this sort of thing when she talked to Bill Maher about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. She's, you know, I'm doing the Lord's work as far as I'm concerned. And to the first caller who asked about when I was going to go on Bill Maher, look, she said she put in a good word for me. She's a real mensch. <laughs> so we'll see if his <laughs> producers take note. But thanks for calling yeah. in, Henry. No problem. Have a good one. Uh, have a good one. Keep the faith. All right, Tosin. Sorry, I'm coming back to you. Let's see if it works this time. Can you unmute yourself? Hello. Hello. Okay, wow. Okay, it's working. Hi, hi, Brady. <laughs> hi, it's good to good to hear you. What's on your mind my, this afternoon? It's nice to hear you say my name as well, because it's um like I feel like as you of you, I guess you you trained in um in Africa as well. Like you you got the right pronunciation of Tosin, right? Oh, um, good. And, and I see <laughs> you under in the chat as well. Um, sorry. Um, because he says like Tosin Abasi is a is a, a great guitarist. Um, so yeah, just shout out to him. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I'm kind of, um, I'm a little bit nervous, I guess. I guess this is the first time I'm, I'm speaking, but, um, I wanted to like explore a little bit what you said about, um, Ole's, Ole's, um, like appearance last week. Cause I was mm-hmm. thinking, would Brie have chosen these topics to actually cover? And I think you kind of answered it a little bit in the beginning, saying you would have gone in a different direction. And I feel, yeah, it's, it's great perhaps you go in a different direction, but that freaking comment section is always at you. Like they always come, like no, no matter how reasonable you are with these, with these people with these extreme ideologies, they always find a way to not listen to anything you're saying. And I think it was great to sort of have all they just come on on the attack and say, no, 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 you're being foolish. So it, it doesn't take you to, it, it doesn't take you, it's not, it's not, it's not hurting you to say someone's pronoun correctly. It's not hurting you to, to address people politely. And I think it was great to have those guys say on the show last week that yeah they probably would if they had Elliot in front of them they would probably address him um correctly but like why why have we spent 30 minutes on this radar why have we spent six minutes arguing back and forth over something else and I feel like um it's interesting to hear your perspective that actually you would have gone in a different direction from Ole so I wanted you to kind of yeah, expand it, about it a little it's bit. interesting I was thinking about this a lot because I mean I, I will admit this a part of me was a little frustrated that I feel like I've been forced to be having conversations about subjects exactly like this for the last two months or whatever it's been that I've been co-hosting on the Hill. And I feel like I've taken a lot of heat and some of the very people who were celebrating very rightly. So very rightly. So Ole's response are the same people who regularly tell me that I'm a right winger who loves Tucker Carlson. Right. Even though like I've literally (laughs) been the one who's been forced to push back against Robbie and randomly bringing up birthing mothers every other day and all of that stuff. So it was a little frustrating to me. It does. It does feel a little like, I don't know. I don't know. You've been been doing this for a long time. Right. And it does feel like people's people's preconceived notions of me are going to prevent even the people who should be my allies on the left for celebrating me in that role. Um, and you know, that's a little bit of a bummer at the same time. I, I think it's a really good thing to have people come to the show and come to di- various different spaces with different styles because different people hear different things and, and hear in different ways. And I do think that my personal style is less, um, 
my goal is less to validate what I think is the broadly held views among left, left, the left or liberals, right? Like there's, there's an emphasis on, well, of course you should respect people's pronouns that I'm going to be less inclined to stay on in the context of like a seven minute conversation because everyone who agrees with me agrees with me on that. And I don't think Mm -hmm. my position on that is really in debate. And frankly, in that, even in that little conversation in that clip, I don't think Robbie and Kim's position on that is in contention. Robbie said repeatedly and as he, as he has before that he always respects people's pronouns and their choices. So for me, I always want to get to the part that actually is difficult, you know? And so my emphasis would go to, okay, as abhorrent as we think that at Peterson, Jordan Peterson statements are, should he be banned? And they didn't stay on that for very long. Or this bit where it's like, okay, you know, if I'm reading a Wikipedia entry about Muhammad Ali and they talk about the earlier parts of his career before he changed his name, he's, he's mentioned as Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay, born in 1930, whatever it was, to so-and-so-and-so-and-so, grew up, went to school. Cassius Clay then did this. Cassius Clay then got married. Cassius Clay, Cassius Clay. And then it says in 1960-whatever, he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. And from that point in the Wikipedia article, he's referred to as Muhammad Ali. And to the extent that people are bringing that up as a counterexample as to why you shouldn't be confused about trans people, you know, you shouldn't be confused about trans people. You should call Muhammad Ali Muhammad Ali. But is there any legitimacy to an argument about, oh, I'm just, I'm confused. Or I'm referring to them as, you know, what the name they went by when they won the decathlon, if we're talking about Caitlyn Jenner or whatever it is, the the name they went by when they starred in the movie Juno, if we're talking about Elliot Page. And is that the same as, should that be conflated with the people like Jordan Peterson, who are obviously trying to antagonize and undermine the personhood of trans people? I don't know. I think that's an interesting conversation and that's where I would probably stay. And that's why certain people hate me. world yeah you know um, I, I think the point i was gonna make was are, are those two like context always matters you know how it is so like obviously he was doing it jordan was doing it to mm-hmm. like antagonize clearly him. yeah and the point that ole made on the call um on the on the show was that the name was trending yeah like people so it, it you know yeah. it came out of it wasn't like a mistake it wasn't like a wikipedia article for sure so i i, I feel like you know the 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 stance, and I you know generally love Kim Robbie's like just giving the side eye, um. But like I, I feel like her, she's she's standing on this hill for people to just be shitty. You're like defending my rights to be shitty to be to just to be a mean person yeah. on the internet, and it's like no 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 no. Like these people were deliberately trying to be terrible people. Like of all the important things, you know, there's there's Medicare for all we could be fighting for. There's yeah. um UBI we could be fighting for. There's living wage we could be fighting for. But this is what you decide to do your radar on. So, like, the, come so, on. That, so that's the thing, and I've been thinking about this too. Like I'm literally looking here at the subjects being proposed for tomorrow, and shaking my head because on an individual basis, there's a lot that I can agree on, right? Like one of the proposed subjects. Sorry if I'm like spoiling the hill for tomorrow. But one of the proposed subjects I'm looking at in the Slack right now is Joe, uh, Jill Biden's thing where she says that the Latinx community and wherever she is, San Diego or whatever, wherever she's giving the speech is as unique as, and then names a bunch of taco, taco styles endemic to the area. You know, Jill Biden just says the Hispanics are as unique as tacos. Okay. So there's a bunch of people critiquing her use of the word Latinx. Um, there's a subsequent criticism of her comparing human beings to taco varieties. Okay. Now, obviously this is corny and cringe and weird, but the choice to talk about this 
when everything else is happening yeah. and when there's right wing people who are out here saying like literally there should be no separation between church and state, which is what Lauren Bobert said last week and which I don't think was covered on the, I mean, I was on vacation. I didn't watch every segment, but which I don't think was covered. Like there's a proportionality argument, even if, and, and this is, this is why I've been on here with you guys on Colin talking about the utility we be on the show. Cause if I'm participating in sec in these segments, the, the, the selection of the segment itself, even if I agree with it, or even if even in the context of the show, I'm disagreeing with a certain point, does create the perception on a certain level that the real problem is on the left. Or the, the even equal, even Stevens level of problem is with the rhetoric that's coming out of the left. Meanwhile, there's full-blown fascism in the New York Times with like turf articles getting main headlines. And I don't think, and again, I didn't watch every segment last week. I don't think there was any conversation about what it meant for our liberal paper of record to be running anti-trans kind of fear-mongering columns. And I don't say that lightly. Like the the column was a full-on, you know, false equivalency between the threat to women of Roe being overturned and the threat to women in quotation marks, cis women from trans women. That, like that, that is in the New York Times. And if you look to the comment section of that article, it was overwhelmingly positive. And you don't get that impression from the Hill. So what is there to do? What do you do about the fact that, you know, it's like I can suggest topics and I put topics in the, in the Slack, but there also, there's an attendance to, you know, people pay attention to what the algorithm likes. And I love Olay. I like to say, I like to say I discovered Olay. Obviously I didn't discover Olay. She's been out here doing her life this whole time, but I was one of the first leftists that had her on a leftist show as opposed to court TV, which she had been doing appearances on before. I adore her and agree with her and think she's the funniest person. Probably I've spoken to in years, (laughs) Um, but (laughs) like, I don't, I don't know what the utility is of, you know, either of us. Um, being in the space and participating in this. And I also see, like, when I look at her segment, as much as she got a lot of traction, positive traction and reinforcement on Twitter, we, we were talking about this in the DMs a little bit. But on, and she's very smart to clip the segments for Twitter where the left lives and where we have our friends. But on YouTube, that segment didn't even do very well. Not many Did people even not? watched I, it. I, I would have thought it would have done because I, I feel like that's the, so the reason why we all kind of, left cnn of the world was because they just have these shouting ma- matches and it's not it's not productive and mm-hmm. i always feel sometimes we obviously don't want to replicate the cnn model on i mm-hmm. guess independent media if you're going to call the hill independent media so i was expecting the, a segment like that would actually go viral and, mm-hmm. and do numbers so mm-hmm. you're saying it didn't do numbers it didn't it got like i mean i haven't checked it since it happened but you know when you look at the rising radars or the rising segments that wasn't a radar or was it? Was it somebody's radar? I can't remember. I think it was just like a segment. Was, I feel like it was uh, Kim's radar and then it kind of expanded, I think. Oh, okay. So if it's Kim's, and Kim's radar is usually do better than anybody else's. It was like yeah, a very yeah. average, you know, 40,000 or whatever views. Kim did a radar a couple of days ago that had like 400,000 views on it about like the Danish protests. Do you know what I mean? That wasn't controversial at all. There was no fighting. There was no like Twitter hubbub about it at all. You know, so, so, and and when when Ole does these amazing radars about abuses at Rikers, prisoners dying, black men getting shot by the police, all of this stuff, also nobody's watching it. So the incentive, not nobody, I don't, that would sound overly dismissive, but like it gets very few views compared to a radar on ouchie Fauci got COVID again. (laughs) 
You know, so like the incentives from the producers also are in, in the song. I'm not saying they're, no one's wrong, but the obvious incentive for people who are trying to make money, and this is a profit-driven enterprise, is to go ahead and do this segment about how Jill Biden is out of touch because she says Latinx and not the segment on, you know, another inmate dies pre-trial detention at Rikers. And I don't know, like, I don't know how to fix that, but I'm seeing the problem and I see that I'm increasingly a part of it and I don't know what to do. I'm just being honest with you guys. I don't know what to do. Maybe we, maybe we as audience members, maybe we need to be um, honest with ourselves as well, because it, like we're we're the ones watching those segments and we're not watching the I guess enough of us aren't watching the the segments that really you know we should be watching um and I think it kind of goes back to there's someone in the chat that mentioned does this conversation get us any closer to having universal health care and I think yeah that's that's a fair criticism um the the second question I was going to ask was um around uh perhaps a controversial figure um but um would you ever consider interviewing um Tulsi? The reason I ask yeah. is mm-hmm. the reason I ask is um so there's this comment about like the left hates power. And I feel like for someone like her, this is gonna sound bad, but for someone like her, I think all she really cares about is power. However, we could use people like that as a vehicle to get the policies that we need passed. So um I don't know. I feel like is there is there like a rehabilitation arc for this lady <laughs> that has seemed to go off the the deep end? Um, yeah, could we well, bring it back into the left left circle in some way so we can use her to get the get to the ends that we need? Well, I the list of people I absolutely would not interview is pretty small. I think. Right. Um, I think the news value of interviewing Tulsi Gabbard is obvious. I am not someone who. You know, I, I, like a lot of people, she, you know, became kind of more heightenedly aware of her when she broke with the party and endorsed Bernie in 2016 and felt a lot of gratitude to her for showing that amount of courage. And I also understand the frustrations as she has kind of recalibrated her politics, perhaps some people say, because she sees what, 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 you know, what the overall trends are and that her bread is buttered on the right perhaps because she genuinely has beliefs and morals that have led her in those directions. Who knows? And that's, I think what the subject of an interview should be kind of asking her about the contradictions in some of her takes over the years. And, you know, instead of just kind of casting aspersions around, I think it would be useful for someone to interview her in good faith on those things. Um, But she won't come on the show. I've never asked. I've never reached out to Tulsi and, you know, I um, am friendly with uh, her, what what role um, did Nico play? Was he her con- her press secretary or or no, something more chill. senior than that? I forget <laughs> now. Um, but I'm friendly with him and would reach out and ask to see if she would be willing to come on. If people you know yeah. if people are interested, I can absolutely do that. I don't know. It's just it was just a thought. I th- I feel like we're on the left. I think sometimes we get too um, allergic to power and mm-hmm. people that are driven um, by the quest for power. But actually, mm-hmm. if we want to bring any of these policies to life, we need to be serious about power. And that's where sort of the Matt Stollerism um, criticism about the left holds water a little bit. Now, mm-hmm. I don't think we do enough work in terms of building infrastructure and caring enough about power to bring our visions to life. We just might sit on the weird corners of the Internet and, you know, circle jerk and like be happy about ourselves. But 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's part of why when we're talking about, you know, protests and what to do in this moment, I'm very interested in talking about people who are willing to, you know, discuss what power looks like. When we saw it, you know, we see these uh, Indonesians swarming the palace and chasing (laughs) chasing their, you know, leadership out of the country on like a literal plane or boat. Like that's, that is whatever you think about it, whatever the underlying politics are, which I am not going to pretend to be well-versed in right now. That's, that's what power looks like, you know, and we see events like this happening all over the place, over the world. I was in France last week and it took like, it was like a 90 minute commute from the airport into the city because all of the trains were down because there's a strike, there's a strike. And the, I, the, the, Uber driver, you know, we were having some communication issues because your girl hasn't taken a French class in 20 years since she was in college. And, you know, it was, it was, I thought it was going to come running back to me, um, Celine Dion style. And it just did not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so we were doing, doing a little translator thing and using the phone and we were having this really lovely conversation because again, it was a 90 minute ride and, and all that he was describing, why there was traffic and the transit strike and all of these things, it's the busiest time of year. It's just, you know, a week or so before Bastille Day. He w- there wasn't even the tiniest bit of ire or frustration in his voice. And mm-hmm. every single person with whom we spoke to about the strike, you know, the guy in the uh, hotel who came up was trying to help my mom buy train tickets, all this kind of stuff. Nobody complained. They're like, oh, yeah, it's a strike, so it's hard. But there wasn't this, like resentment in the voice exactly. right like how dare you interrupt my vacation they're like oh the vacation season there's always a vac- there is always a strike during vacation season because that's when it helps <laughs> yeah, that's why we have rights like everyone's very blase about it i love the it, french it was great and then meanwhile some of the people that were at the wedding with us who were american it came up and one of the women she's she was lovely and she has left politics she says but when it came up in conversation she was like yeah i mean i get it you know solidarite but does it have to be now? And I was like, lady, like, you're not getting it, actually. <laughs> like, it, I promise you, I'm not going to tell you the saga of how, what a clusterfuck this vacation was for me in terms of our transportation was. But it was awesome. very, 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 very irritating and ended up being quite costly. <laughs> and yet, you know, c'est le <laughs> that, that That's what it is. And Americans like just don't the- have that. Sorry, go ahead. I feel like there's probably an element, I feel like I'm hugging up the time as well, so I'll probably make this my last comment. I feel like there's an element of, even when we, because you have the Chris Hedges of the world saying, yeah, we, we need to protest and we, sh- we need to be in the streets. And I feel like sometimes where, for instance, where we protest actually does matter. So if we're, if we're protesting in a way that kind of hurts the poor and working class, in my eyes, that doesn't seem as productive. But if we're going to, you know, to... Scotus's to Justice's streets and protesting in those streets that feels more productive in my view because you're protesting centers of power um and that's that's my my sense of things but like if you're protesting and it ends up you know hurting people from being able to go to work they might get fired that's where I might feel a I hate bit. To, I had to tell you this but there are a lot of people who were struggling to get to work in France 
because of this protest. And that's why I saw the Max Blumenthal tweet and I, I retweeted, I responded to it with more um, bass in my voice than I intended because I read it, I was on the move and read it as Max Boot. And I DM'd Blumenthal about it. I think we're, I'm going to try to have him on the show to talk about this perhaps with an organizer and, and about strategies. And it's obviously true that you should calibrate the stra- strategy to be more directed at power. But like pretending like there's this neat little world where you're never going to inconvenience anybody, it's, it's, it's not a big enough protest. God bless the people who are protesting at the Supreme Court Justice Houses and at Morton Steakhouse and all of that stuff. That's great, and they should do it, and that's I fully support that. But like the revolution is not going to come from that. Yeah. you know. And a labor strike of any kind is going to be massively inconvenient to working people as well. And that's why it was frustrating to me that this in, there's this instinct that says, you know, the, you know, the clip that we're talking about, had someone in the traffic jam that was caused by a climate strike, a bunch of climate strikers was saying, you know, if I don't get to work, I'm going to violate my parole and they're going to send me back to jail. Well, hell's bells. That sounds like a really shitty country we're living in that would send someone to jail for missing work for reasons outside of their control, whether it's caused by a climate strike, a bridge collapse, an act of God, or the fact that they're fucking car broke down or they just woke up late or whatever it is because they're a human being you know and it just is frustrating to me for the emphasis to be on that example instead of on the broader system which makes us feel pit against each other in those ways i don't think it's my role as a spokesperson as a as a media figure to to basically you know pile on climate activists you know yeah. and pretend like yeah. to contribute to this you know, you know, rhetoric that says, oh, climate people are out of touch and da 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 da. What are you doing? Not you literally, Tosin, but like, you know, <laughs> you know, God bless them for trying. They knew they were going to make people very, very irritated when they blocked the street. And you know what? I wish those abortion protesters at the, at the Supreme Court, the day the decision came down and every day since, had yeah. gone ahead and blocked the street and somebody in that street was going to be going someplace important. Some of them might be going to the hospital. Somebody might be giving birth. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be consequences, and that really sucks. But collectively, to me, it seems solidarity is is saying this would not have happened, not for the people blocking the street, but for the people who caused whatever they're protesting. You know what I mean? Ultimately, to the extent that I can't make my job and get thrown in jail, it's not a climate protester's fault. It's the people who won't do climate reform's fault. If to the extent that I can't have my baby because I'm stuck on Constitution Avenue because these women are protesting in front of the Supreme Court, it's not these women's fault. It's the people who overturned Roe v. Wade's fault. It's the Biden administration's fault for not t- doing more with their executive power to help support women. And and yeah. to me, that's that's the framing we should be aspiring to. Yeah, and to be fair, I, th- I think we're we're both agreeing, but I feel like it's um the kind of both of our scenarios are quite hypothetical because I feel like if we if we if we want to educate the public properly I feel like we should be saying the important person that you want to block should be someone like Pelosi mm-hmm. should be someone someone like I don't know the AOCs of the world try to block them rather than some random woman who's trying to get to the hospital because she's trying to be you know deliver another baby kind of thing um but yeah I think I'll probably go now but I still have loads of questions I probably wanted to so Colin, Colin, soon I'm going to try to do a makeup episode um, to make up for Thursday and squeeze in an extra, an extra little thing this week. Um, so call back in and maybe we can talk then. Sure thing. All, All right. right. See you guys later. Bye. Bye. Hey, Jonathan. Always good to see your face. What's on your mind? 
Uh, you know, every time I stand in line, the people ahead of me say interesting stuff, and there's a whole bunch of other thoughts <laughs> that enter my brain that I didn't even plan on saying when I called in. But uh, I definitely got to say, you know, after having gone a week without you on the rising, like you're still the number one Robbie handler. <laughs> the number <laughs> one. Look, no, you like you do it, but he loves you for it. Like you do it in this very gentle way. Like that one time that you uh, you kind of got him when he just started making a comment about birthing persons, and you actually kind of argued him into a corner. Like, okay, well, what would you call them? You know, I like call them whatever they want to be called. And basically, he didn't have anything to say after that. And you know, he actually kind of wound up agreeing with you. And I was like, oh my gosh, he just argued him into a corner for that. And like, he's happy about it. It's well, look, it's, it's because really look, I, this is going to be an unpopular take, but I do. I like Robbie. Like, <laughs> I obviously I don't agree do with act, Robbie. I will, yeah. But I, I, I like Robbie. Like he. Look, sometimes people who say the thing about like, oh, if only there could be civil debate. I just appreciate that you were civil, 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 civil. Sometimes that is a cover for just be patient and don't react with the emotions that are actually appropriate to this insane fascist thing that I'm saying. Right? Sometimes. That's what that means. And it irritates me that there's this like kind of fake value for civility. That's really just, you know, people getting you in an emotional state. That's going to cover for the fact that they're doing really, really terrible things that warrant a big emotional response. However, I also do appreciate, you know, that when you have a relationship with someone, you can have a conversation with a certain level of warmth, warmth and and mutual, mutual respect that can sometimes get you farther. And that was the conceit of Swody that my best friend and I know each other for long enough and love each other enough that no matter how contentious the topic, we could kind of press forward knowing that we were both coming to it in good faith. And Robbie, even though I disagree with him, like we've had enough conversations at this point about trans issues on the show and offline that I don't, I, he, I don't think he's Jordan Peterson. Now that doesn't mean that people can be mad at him, but he is not someone who's out here intentionally trying to dead name people or all of that. Now, do I have a problem with the fact that topics are picked on the show that kind of feed into antipathy for trans people and focus on trans people to the detriment of all of us, including trans people who are fighting for these issues like healthcare, da, 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 da. Yes. And do I think that this, like the, the trans people are like the, 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 door cracking open to fascism, you know, the, the first group that's being hoisted up to see how rabid people can get attacking them. You know, first they come for the communists, et cetera, et cetera, a hundred percent. But I don't know that Robbie sees it that way. And, you know, so this, and I know that might be a distinction about a difference to people, but to me, that's someone who can, you can say, okay, look, I know that you brought this topic up, but at the end of the day, what are we actually arguing about? You and I both think we should respect trans people's pronouns. You and I both think that they should be able to transition. They, you know, people should be able to make independent decisions as adults, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what is the beef here? Why actually are we talking about this? Why are we talking about this? And yeah, that, that, you're right. That leads people to a place where they have to admit that it's like, well, there's no good reason. And then maybe I'm participating in, in, a, in a broader cultural trend that is actually, yeah, quite nefarious and that I don't agree with. Yeah, and this is why, like, some of the, the the most popular episodes of Bad Faith were those ones that you had on various conservative people. And, like, you know, it's not like the conversation, you know, didn't get uh, heated. But, you know, there was 
that level of respect. And the fact of the matter is like the reason, you know, one of the things, the skills, the particular skills you have is you kind of hit them in ways that they, with things that they don't expect. And you take them in directions that they don't expect. And they, they're kind of like on the back foot and they're forced to answer honestly, instead of like with a pre-canned political script. And that's an important part of, of kind of breaking through those barriers is, you know, getting past like the, the kind of conditioned responses and pre-programmed stuff and getting people to think like people again and actually make decisions based on, you know, what they think sounds right or wrong or makes sense or doesn't make sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a particular, it, like I said, it's a, it's a particular gift that, you know, you, you kind of have that, that really, I think the, you know, when it wasn't there, it became readily apparent these things went in a different direction. But I definitely understand what you're saying about kind of the perversity of the algorithms, too, because they definitely favor the kind of content that I typically skip. Like, yeah. like I will skip Kim's like COVID monologues like those. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to hear that. Like, it's not like I have anything personally against Kim or anything, but the, that mm-hmm. content is and I don't necessarily, like, I think for whatever reason, the algorithms are serving those things up and suppressing a lot of the, you know, more neutral or left-leaning content. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure exactly, like, who's programming that or what their aim is, but yeah. it's it's kind of like promoting and suppressing a weird blend of stuff that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. I remember, so one of my beefs is generally talking about things I don't know about. Like I, I prefer to be a moderator or an interviewer in nine out of 10 situations. You know, I would like my takes to kind of be limited to radars. If I were ideally, if the show were post produced in like Brianna's fantasy world, I am talking about facts in the lean, like describing the story and then interviewing people with different perspectives, moderating to understand what the truth is on this or what the takes are out there on this or interviewing an expert. So for example, there was one day um, around all of the horrible Supreme court cases where Robbie and I were talking about one of the cases, but neither of us really knew what we were talking about. You know, it was very new. Neither of us had read the case. We were both kind of hypothesizing. And I was like, this feels a little gross to me, especially as a lawyer. Like I don't want anybody looking at this and saying, Oh, Brianna's just a bad lawyer. I'm a human being who doesn't know what she's talking about. Okay. So I got, you know, Eric Siegel who has been on the show, obviously like four times on to weigh in. And he was a good guy. I would, ideally I would have had him and a more conservative lawyer, but I suggested Eric, nobody suggested a conservative lawyer. So they just had Eric and he just explained it. In like two seconds, and Robbie couldn't really say anything because you know he doesn't have the he's not a constitutional professor like Eric Siegel who can really back him up. He asked some questions, and Eric answered the pushback questions. And I thought it was a great segment. I was like, great, now I understand. I don't have to be sitting here and pulling things out of my ass. But the segment didn't do nearly as well as Robbie and I talking out of our asses the day before. You know, and that like is mm, I don't love that. Like, I wish we lived in a world where we could all just admit, like, I don't know the answer. I don't know. Like, at, at first, I didn't know why baby formula wasn't on the shelves. I don't know if it's something that the FDA did and if it's being irresponsible, ir- not importing stuff from Europe the way that Robbie was claiming, that our regulations were imp- preventing us from importing baby stuff from form- formula from Europe, or whether or not it was something else. You know, is it the yeah. FDA's fault or not? And so, like, I don't want to even have the conversation. Let's be informed. But that's not, the, that's not the media environment that we live in where people can just say, I don't know. 
Yeah, and like knowing everything is not your superpower. Knowing what kind of questions to ask is, and that's yeah. valuable content. And I think when people see it, they actually like it. But I think people make the mistake of assuming, uh, you know, the likes and clicks on on YouTube are necessarily a a measure of popularity. And I don't think it works that way. Like there's so much there's so much meddling around in what people see. Like I have to look really hard to find, you know, a lot of the kind of stuff that I want to see. Like yeah. I had to put all kinds of alerts and things like that. And even then, sometimes they don't go off. I have to go look for them when I know they're coming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like there are people are being kept away from good content in a lot of ways. And they're being served up the garbage. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's. The fact that, like, I do think that the fact that you're on that platform, that Hill platform, allows your good stuff to be served to a lot more people than would otherwise get it. But it's still it's still not, you know, for whatever reason, there's something in there that's not allowing it to travel as far as it should. But yeah, I do I think mean, when people yeah. see it, they love it. I, I will say this one one last thing, like, about being a moderator. I, I at times, on this, on that show hear myself saying things that sound libbish because I feel like somebody has to offer up that take. And I fundamentally, you know, obviously I'm saying what I believe in, even if that wouldn't be my personal emphasis in a conversation on my own show. And it's frustrating to me to be in that position. And I found myself when I watched some of those clip back, clips back from last week, like I loved that Ole was there saying some stuff that doesn't often get said, especially since She's so knowledgeable about criminal justice as a public defender and all of that stuff. Like it was like wonderful to hear, even though there were these little moments where I would think, oh, no one's really addressing what Robbie and Kim are saying or metal. And I found myself thinking in an ideal world, I would be a moderator (laughs) and it'd be me, Robbie, Kim and Ole. And I can go back and forth and say, well, Robbie's making a good point here. Ole, what do you say about that? Okay, well, Ole's actually saying this. Robbie, can you actually address that? And I I feel like my personal role and my own talents lie there more. And it also prevents me from being in a place where I just kind of have to reflexively, you know, push back and, you know, sound like I'm like, I love, I'm a mandate loving lib just because I think that maybe there's parts of, let's say, a Kim Raider that I don't agree with, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's two sides to that, too, because you really are uh, a gifted questioner as well. And like I, I know our RP people were uh, especially impressed at the, the skillful way you you uh, guided the conversation with Bottle. And mm-hmm. uh, like this episode was awesome. And uh, like, honestly, like I'm actually uh, I've been working on an article. It's probably going to drop tomorrow or something like that. It's along some of the same subject lines and like the thing wound up being way longer than I wanted to. And I don't know how to cut it down. So it's like <laughs> 2,500 words, which is like nothing compared to, you know, to somebody who worked with uh, Nathan J. Robinson <laughs> or Ryan Graham. I've, I've had Ryan very Graham. verbose editors. I've been lucky to have editors that like a big, a big word limit in my life. <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping I can get around the TLDR factor by recording an audio feature or something like that. But mm. it's along those stuff. Like there's a lot to get through there. And you actually managed to touch on like a lot of the important things that uh, have been going on that the news cycles have basically buried that are going to have a big impact on people and people really need to know. And like you like there's not that many people that really don't have a background in economics that could have, uh, you know, um, 
known which directions to take that, what kind of questions to ask and drill down on uh, that, you know, I don't think there's, there's too many other people that could have done that. Well, I, you are very kind to me and I appreciate the, um, you know, Brianna celebration party. (laughs) Um, I, I really do appreciate it because, you know, it's, it's, there's a whole mix of uh, feedback that you're getting all the time. And again, like I, I really do appreciate it, but I should probably uh, not just sit here basking <laughs> and accolades for any longer. So I appreciate you calling in. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Jonathan. Keep the faith. Uh, you too. Bye. All right. Let me just take a look at this line right quick to see if I can mix up the full. I don't know. I feel like you can say something, but you know what I mean. Let's get some little gender diversity happening up in here. Okay, Stephanie, <laughs> what's on your mind this evening? I know I surprised you. You didn't think you were going to be up quickly. You're toward the back of the line. You're probably, you know, making yourself dinner or folding laundry or doing the wordle, and you're thinking, I can't believe Brianna called on me. I thought it was going to be at least 30 minutes before I was anywhere near the front of the line. And now you're like, fuck, is it me? Is it me, Stephanie? Is there another Stephanie? Is it really me? Oh, damn. I got to unmute myself before I lose my place in the line. You know what, Stephanie? Don't even worry about it. I'll come back to you if you go get back in the queue. But everybody else in the queue, look alive. I'm coming for you. I'm skipping around. But I'm going to go back to the front to Johnny. (laughs) Johnny, what's on your mind this afternoon? Hey, Bree, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Johnny? I, uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to keep the Bree Love Fest going. I've, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> your radars and, and sent them to all the true blue uh, Massachusetts Democrats that I know. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't know if it's making a dent or not, but I'm trying. <laughs> Much appreciated. I'm swimming, your... uh, I'm swimming against the tide here with the algorithm. You know what I mean? The algorithm uh, does seem to want to make you watch stuff that's terrible, but. Yeah, and I I gotta be honest. Sometimes I can feel myself doing it to myself. You know, like I I click on look, I watch all of the like Van Vanguard boys videos where they're talking about who said what about whom. Like I'm there in the cut talking about <laughs> lefty gossip central, right? Like that's how. Like I in my defense, it's more like listening to. You know, it's like they're talking about my friends and peers often. So I I would like to say I have an added investment in it, but you know. I, I do find myself clicking on that content. I think there's a certain human nature that's drawn to tension. But there's I also no shame t- in that though, right? Yeah. Because you know what I mean? It's it's first of all it's good to like, you know, see what everybody else is up to and you know, the Vanguard keeps tabs on everybody that you mm-hmm. don't have time to keep tabs mm-hmm. on, right? There's no shame in that, you know? Right. And right. also if you've done a lot of hard thinking about complex legal issues, you know what I mean? You can chill and just like watch people throw food at each other for a while, right? There's yeah, no shame in that. It's it's entertaining. And I like their <laughs> charisma and rapport. I find them to be very charming. <laughs> now, I, I also I do think though that sometimes you have to teach people why they should be interested in something. And sometimes sure. like if a video initial video doesn't do well, because let's say you have to teach somebody what's going on in Sri Lanka. You have to teach somebody you know, why they should, you know, be invested in, let's say, the upcoming food crisis, the way that they they should be. Play the long game. Yeah, but it's difficult when it's, like, not your show and you're you're dealing with other producers and you're not really – you're asking them to take a risk on something and you don't really know if it's going to work. 
It's hey, difficult. that's what they hired you for, right? They could have hired anybody, but they hired you, right? Well, to throw on a temporary ball. basis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a three-month contract. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You got to make the most of your rolling three-month contract, right? I mean, if let, let's put it this way. If they don't renew your three-month contract and you didn't swing for the fences, then you'll have regrets. That's, I guess that's true. That's true. But Johnny, hey, do you have what? anything? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a off, uh, off the beat topic. Uh, yeah. I wanted to bring up, and um, it's a little bit MMT related. I, I have to admit, I have not watched the most recent episode, though I will look. I do like MMT conversations, so I, uh, I'm gonna mm. like that. So I will, uh, I will look forward to to checking that out. But I would like to bring up something that's happened in my home state of Massachusetts, and also in California, which is the normalization of cutting checks to people. Right? Say more. Yeah. So Gavin Newsom clearly wants to take a shot at the White House in 2024, right? Mm-hmm. Biden's wobbly. He's tottering. He looks like he's going to kind of fall over, right? Gavin Newsom thinks Gavin Newsom should be president, and he thinks the rest of America should should come around to his point of view. Um, you know, obviously Hillary Clinton still thinks she wants to, you know, can get in there too, but, you know, that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, um, in my home state of Massachusetts, there is now a proposal for check writing as well. I mean, the state can't do it because the state does not have the power of, you know, issuing currency. However, this thing that uh, austerians, especially in the Democratic Party, wanted to banish to the phantom zone still seems to be lingering. And it's mm-hmm. almost a rite of passage if you're a state governor who wants to take a shot at higher office to go cut checks to show that you're, you know, in touch with the common people. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you were a neoliberal that actually is operating in good faith and wants to fix the gas price problem, you would say, okay, let markets adjust, let people adjust to gas prices, but just cut them checks to smooth the process out. Mm -hmm. So I I have to say it's a trend that Trump started that Biden was kind of cornered into right by the two Georgia Senate races. Um, And I thought the you know the kind of conservative hawks in the democratic party had kind of slapped down over the course of 2020 run right and remember everybody's solution to inflation was to just like pound normal people for having you know a, a four-digit checking account instead mm-hmm. of the usual three digits right mm-hmm. but now it's coming back right gavin newsom is floating the check idea and like and charlie baker who in massachusetts who i think probably has you know maybe not quite the big ego that gavin newsom does but i think he's got ambitions um now he's talking about cutting checks as well so Mm -hmm. i wanted to throw that one out i don't know if you've seen it if i'm making maybe you know it's a couple of coincidences maybe it's not a rising trend but it's still around this whole check writing so this is charlie baker's last term right yeah he's not running again i mean he obviously he's gonna get mowed over like grass in the republican primary like he's getting nowhere Oh, but, is that true? You know, What's going goes, on? What's who's I mean, challenging? Who would challenge him? He's a blue state Republican. Like, oh, you mean gonna, the the Republican yeah. primary, national primary? Sorry, I thought you were saying yeah, exactly. that the reason he's not running again is because no, somebody nipping no, at his he's, heels in Massachusetts. He's, he's a red. He's a Republican that only Democrats can love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like uh, lots of Republicans around in, in Massachusetts, and we have them. They're about you know a third of the voting public, but uh, you know they're around and they hate Charlie Baker because he's not red enough for them. Like, yeah, so he's, he's, yeah, he's dead for higher office, but he's the kind of and he's along the lines of uh, the guy in Maryland there, Larry Hogan. Mm-hmm. Do you think he he's, would flip again, flip parties and run as a Democrat? 
I think and you would it, have to. I mean, have you seen the fetish for among Democrats for? I mean, yes, that is, I mean, that look, is Liz a fascinating proposition. Is, yeah, Liz Cheney's future lies clearly in the Democratic Party, right? They're about to spank her out of, you know, what's it called, out of Wyoming, right? They're going to run her out of town. Yeah, but she's, t- I mean, I think she's too vile even for most Democrats. I mean, I won't say most. Robert Reich just penned an op-ed saying, well, Liz Cheney should be president. I, I mean, know. come on. And then we all dragged him. And I think most of us just put him in that corner of our brain that says, don't listen to anymore. <laughs> because tired of that old, tired old I mean, God bless him. Come back from the dead, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so you're asking if, if like the check cutting is the path to higher office. Look, when the, when the stimulus checks happened and they were so overwhelmingly popular, and you're right, they were so popular that even Joe Biden seemed um, hamstrung into promising them on the campaign trail and at least delivering some of what he promised in order to get Georgia. You know, it, that's not going to, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. It did teach somebody Americans something about what the government was capable of. And I will continue to say to the day I die, if you look in the comment section <laughs> of the shade room or any kind of like youthy music, hip hop style, you know, uh, Twitter account or Instagram account or whatever. And it's a vaguely political topic or anything that has to do with Kamala Harris or Biden. It's a bunch of people saying, where is my check? Cancel my loans. Where is my check? The people have not forgotten. Despite the fact that, yes, there has been this propaganda for the last few months that tries to attribute um, inflation basically in total to those stimulus checks. So I wouldn't, I'm not surprised by the idea that's like, I think that you're right. I think that you're going to see some hopefuls like Newsom try that route. And it's interesting. And, and I don't know, it could be kind of crap. It could be kind of a problem because I don't trust Gavin Newsom farther than I can throw him. I don't trust his administration of any kind of check program to be kind of the best non mean tested, useful way that's felt by people that in a way that's good. And my concern race, would be the Republicans would French laundry him into the ground. Yeah, my, my concern is that he will get behind something like the checks, do a bad job of the checks, and then we lose the ground on the checks. Right. Like suddenly checks yeah. are a bad idea because Newsom's a bad idea. Which, you know, <laughs> would suck. Uh, are we really going to have to deal with Newsom? Should we have a conversation about who we think is going to run in 2024? Because I'm hearing people say like they fundamentally – all of this press about Biden is basically because the floodgates are open and people have permission to say – to criticize Biden because everybody knows that Biden's not going to win. Uh, run. Yeah, when, when you print a thirty-three percent approval rating, like the the vultures start circling. I mean, there's just no way. I don't care how old you are or what you say. Like it's thirty-three percent. Yeah. <laughs> like you're 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 a wounded animal at that point. You know. Did anybody watch this Nina Turner clip? By the way, she was on CNN today talking about uh, Biden challenge. It just came up on my timeline, but I haven't watched it yet. Oh, our girl has braids now. Okay, Nina Turner. Right when I'm about to take mine out. Um, let's, let's, let's hear real quick what she has to say. I'm kind of curious about this. Senator, you're a Democrat who has been critical of Joe Biden over the years. This news reported by Isaac this morning is that Democrats are not at this point going to primary Joe Biden and they're warning others to not do the same. In other words, stay out of this. Do you think that's the right path? Well, this is John and Brian. This is about life and death. So if the Democrats, my party, wants to push back the neo-fascist uh, tidal wave that is happening from the courts to the streets, then it is going to have to deliver and change material conditions for the people. Yes, people should come out to vote as if their lives depend on it in November, this November, next November, and every November after that. 
But what my party must do, since it controls all the levers of power in both chambers of the United States Congress and the presidency, is they need to contort themselves through public policy as if their lives depend on it. People need relief in this country. And one way to back off any primary challenge, should there be one, is to deliver for the people. It is to give them something that they can feel. It is to cancel student debt. It is to go ham on this extremist Supreme Court. It is to embody the spirit and tradition of President FDR. And one of my fears, John and Brianna, in this particular moment, since the, since people are so desperate and the pain is so deep, is that this Congress and this president are not bold enough for the moment. So we should not be basing the whole measure on what is best for the Democratic Party. We should measure based on what is best for Big Mama and Big Daddy in hoods where people are misunderstood, whether it's the rural hood, the urban hood, or the suburban hood. That is how you settle whether or not there will be a primary deliver for the people. Ah, you know, okay, okay, Senator. To be clear, I wasn't there. She's talking to Brianna Keeler. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Brianna and John, I got real personal for a minute there. <laughs> I, love, I love all of that clip, but like, where was that when she was running for Congress? Like, I, I felt like that was, there was a, a hand tied behind her back when, when she was running, you know? I know. I think, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but, you know, I, I, my impression is that she felt really kind of overwhelmed by the DMFI attacks and the, you know, yeah. flyers that were going out accusing her of anti-Semitism. And I think that she really felt that and was worried about reputational damage and didn't like the idea that people, you know, some people were believing that stuff in good faith. I think and, and, the Nina ahead. Turner, I think the Nina Turner that can say, I said voting for Joe Biden is like eating half a bowl of manure. <laughs> and instead of a whole bowl and doubles down on that and cuts a campaign on ad on that and says, yeah, I said it and I meant it mm-hmm. <laughs> like I need we need that kind of energy on the left. Like when she says, you know, what I mean, when we're told that we're unfaithful Democrats, that we're mm-hmm. not loyal Democrats, we have to double down on that. I agree. Like we need we need candidates that are unafraid of that. And I mean, you know, not to compare with Trump or whatever, but like. That's the kind of bravery people are attracted to. Like, I agree. People need to see the bravery and like you won't flinch from the criticisms you made. You won't hedge against it. Like until we have a braver left. So, so who's like, that? Who's that in twenty twenty four? Who's our left champion? Is John? Is it going to be Fetterman? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't exist yet. Although Fetterman's doing pretty well from like his house. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's doing the Joe Biden thing where he's not, you know, for health reasons, it sounds like he's not campaigning, but he's trolling fairly well. And he's trolled himself out to a lead over Oz. Although Oz seems pretty good at kicking the ball into his own net filming ads from his New Jersey mansion. right? Yeah, I mean, I saw one. Well, let me not. It was funny, but maybe I shouldn't. Know. We love we love short kings on this show. We've established that. But I saw one where he had filmed a campaign and video from like a weird angle like above like an above angle and somebody tweeted like was this filmed by fetterman (laughs) (laughs) yeah he just he's just doing weird stuff i don't know whatever um i'd be interested though yeah go ahead no i'm interrupting you too much go ahead no no no, not at all i was just gonna say you know obviously fetterman is dealing with his health issues and people many people will want him to be in office longer than a half second before he would actually aspire to national office yeah i wonder if breaking points kind of like 
smelled this one out wrong because they worried that Oz really was genuinely the more competitive uh, candidate, which is mm-hmm. why Trump endorsed him. And that guy, mm-hmm. you know, Trump loves a good celebrity. He knows one, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it doesn't seem to be working out. I mean, it's early days. You know what I mean? They still got, you know, several months to go. But, you know, maybe they maybe they got it wrong on this one, you know? Well, if Fetterman did. can, can mm-hmm. do the common man against the out-of-touch celebrity, mm-hmm. that, that can work. You know what I mean? Also, Dr. Oz was like an Oprah guy. I feel like we all know him. I mean, we most of us know him. We presumed his politics were liberal. For, you know, I, I had to, you know, I'm so do still the Republicans. getting over the... So do the Republicans. Right, and then that's the thing. When we, did, when we did our Oz episode back, I don't know, at some point last year, probably last summer, whenever he announced his candidacy... My feeling was that it was difficult for me to imagine how he was going to overcome the perception that he is, in fact, a liberal and that all of this, like, Trumpy posturing seemed to be put on and in bad faith. So I don't know. I I think you're right. I don't I don't I don't see it. And the Trump endorsements and stuff, I get all that helps. But he doesn't have the he has a demeanor that is good for convincing Daytime TV watchers that they should get a colonoscopy. (laughs) (laughs) He is not giving me, he is not giving like right wing passion fire. He's not giving me that. He's giving me take your Lipitor on time. You know, he's, he's serving jog 20 minutes a day for your heart health. Right. You know? Take your fish oil caplets and like right. it. Right, you know? <laughs> right. He's 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 serving Metamucil. It's not. <laughs> it's not. I don't know. Fire and brimstone, like the the kind that the right seems to like right now. But we'll see, we'll see what happens, and we'll continue to cover it. Anyway, thanks for All calling right. in. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll let you go, Bree. Thanks for chatting with me. I appreciate it as always. I'll I'll course. check out the podcast. Huge fan. Thank you, Johnny. Bye bye. All right. Uh, let's try Beckham. I think it was Beckham who in the chat volunteered themselves as offering a little, uh, diversity as a trans caller. Was that you Beckham? Yeah. Hi. Thanks. Hi. Welcome. Um, yeah. Well, one thing really quick, uh, I didn't go to a fancy law school, but I, you got me thinking, uh, when you said that you don't like how all the, sorry, I'm <laughs> a little nervous. Um, yeah, I was no just worries. thinking that, that maybe like, uh, uh, the fact that people are wage slaves mm-hmm. um, and kind of like always susceptible to being paid off is a First Amendment issue. Like mm-hmm. if the essence of the First Amendment is political engagement um, and freedom. Um, but uh, also besides that, I've been, you know, like I live in a house with a bunch of trans people and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them are really radical. You know, one of them is self-described Antifa. and. Mm-hmm. Like, none of us have ever been like, we should really start saying chest feeding. Like, I just mm-hmm. found out about that this week, you know? Uh, and it it makes me wonder if, like, like I've been learning about, um, like, COINTELPRO recently. And, like, mm-hmm. Caitlin Johnstone tweeted something about how, like, like I, I think that she was saying that maybe um, a lot of these supposed trans people on Twitter are sock puppet accounts. Because, like, most trans people are too busy working mm-hmm. or they're poor because, you know, even if they had a rich mommy or daddy, like, they're hated for being trans, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, most of us don't have, uh, like, the time that I do to be on Twitter all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does make me wonder if, like, 
especially if like the CIA is willing to do all the crazy stuff they're willing to do, why wouldn't they also be willing to like um, be on Twitter all day or put, you know, a bunch of hot girls in the lives of a bunch of YouTubers to be like, don't you think trans people are being dicks right now? Or like, don't you think we'll get laid more if we say that Jimmy Dore is a dick to trans people? Um, yeah. There, I mean, there does look, I can't speak to what's organic. I'm not, you know, close enough or embedded enough in the trans community to say what feels like out of touch or inorganic or what have you. But I do think that some of the, what I've observed as a black person who sees some corporate outlet saying wild stuff about race and black people's priorities all the time. That doesn't seem unlikely to me. There is some Astro, if, if it's not like actual AstroTurf or <laughs> Telpro, it feels like, it feels like at least people who are speaking for others from a HR corporate, you know, Bank of America presents pride perspective mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, are in their effort to seem quote unquote woke, taking the most academic niche aspect of language or discourse and foregrounding it in a way that is ultimately harming the populations that they're claiming to want to uplift. Yeah, well, that I, I, I see that as more of like a, like a, a we're, we're just going to like co-opt this in a way that advantages us and kind of less intentional. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like I've gotten more paranoid recently. We're like, mm-hmm. like I remember, uh, George W. Bush got reelected on like the wedge issues, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, back then it was frustrating that um, I think that most people in the queer community would have like first wanted work, workplace protections and, and then gay marriage and then gays in the military. Mm -hmm. And it was the opposite order because Mm -hmm. that's how people like got elected. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm wondering if like everything that you've been discussing on the show today is connected because like, if all we can talk about is trans issues that really no one understands, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, then definitely we'll never come together to talk about uh, what really happened in the CARES Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if, like, if, if you know, if like if if they're willing to put plants in, uh, you know, like, far left like organizations, or, yeah, yeah. Like, have you ever wondered if? that's happened to your co-hosts yeah i i i look i would i put nothing i don't think there's really a such thing as being too paranoid (laughs) like i will entertain any possibility and it does seem to me like okay so look at the look at the planned parenthood tweet that launched a thousand articles right like the whole that whole new york times turf article Mm-hmm. What the only evidence they have that there is a war on women, you know, from these, you know, from the left was really the only specific thing I pointed to was the Planned Parenthood tweet post jobs that listed all of the groups that were going to be disproportionately affected by the decision and didn't say the word woman, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it does feel a little weird to me that like a tweet like that is out there. You know what I mean? Like it seemed like the person who drafted it was like pretty negligent. Because they yeah. know how something like that is going to get eaten up. Like, you know it. And then some of these, some of the articles that get put out by, like, you know, like, Bustle or these, like, kind of women's oriented mags and stuff, sometimes do, I think, and I, I don't know if it's 
authentic. And again, just trying to be maximalist because your support is really big and strong and you just want to like do the biggest, strongest take or whether it is like AstroTurf and they know how triggery it is, or maybe they just want clicks. And so they, they do the triggeriest version of the take, but they often do have these titles to their articles that seem to invite right-wing ridicule. So they mm-hmm. will do the like, you know, Heathrow Airport creates chest feeding booths for, you know, uh, expectant parents or, or, you know, whatever, like they will frame it in a way that you could literally see that exact same title on a Breitbart article <laughs> and they can just like copy paste it. And again, it's not, it's not obviously substantively a problem, but it does feel like sometimes it's like, they're just like offering up stuff to get dunked on. And it's like, who is this for? Like the, the, the advocate or whatever, the, the advocate version of the article will have like no engagement. It feels like it's just there to like make someone on the right mad. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's paranoid. And maybe that's like me caring too much about the right things. And if people want to support or, or report on some, you know, LGBT first or whatever it is, that's obviously great. But I don't know, like, I, I share your skepticism about, like, what, how this issue became so central. Christopher Rufo is very explicit about the way that CRT was pushed. And I think it would be naive to think that there isn't some way in which some of these trans issues are being pushed in the same way. And that even the liberal media is participating, rightly or wrongly, knowingly or, or ignorantly. Especially because it seems like, I, I also said this in the chat, like, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, like, the there's a lot of hippies and there's a lot of right wingers and we all come together when it comes to libertarianism stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that the left discourse is happening uh, on Twitter, <laughs> as I've gotten more online recently, uh, it seems like if I were, if I were a teenager today and I, my first issue that I learned to care about was free speech, then I would be right wing. And that mm. feels that's strange to me as someone who like grew up listening to Pacifica radio and stuff. Um, yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's, that is why, and I know people have made, have mixed feelings about me doing this, but that is why there's a part of me that wants to, when I was, when I was watching the exchange between Ole and Kim and Robbie, I could feel in my bones, the audience thinking, okay, but this is a speech issue because Peterson shouldn't be kicked off Twitter. Yes. And I can hear them in my brain saying they're going to say that Olay isn't engaging with that point. They're going to say that, you know, this is why the, the left is fascistic and they don't care about protecting, you know, the broader issues. Um, and that she's argued that she is the one that's arguing in bad faith because she is framing it in a way they're frame, is framing it as though Robbie wants to misgender somebody as a way of eluding this other point about Twitter. And I understand completely where Ole is coming from because there is all of this stuff in the ether that is obviously, you know, the, 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 you know, his name is trending because people are intentionally using it in that way. And I I understand the impulse to want to take on that point, but given the Hills audience, I was like, Oh Lord, I know what this is going to be. And I just (laughs) go down to the audience, the questions and the, the, the comments rather. And that's what it was. That's what it was. So it's like, I, I am torn. You guys, you hear me all the time. Like, should I care about that audience and, and address and a comment and like concede the point about Jordan Peterson not getting banned? Cause to me, my, my thinking is it's Jordan Peterson sucks for a million and one reasons, yeah. including this. 
And it's very easy for me to say Jordan Peterson is intentionally bigoted and intentionally misgendering Elliot Page. Intentionally. No one can argue (laughs) that. So let's all agree as a panel of three to that and move on to this other conversation about whether or not he should be banned. Because then the audience, if I make Robbie and Kim agree that Jordan Peterson is an asshole for doing this, then Mm -hmm. the audience, any audience member who is transphobic has to see that they're on my side on this. They can't pretend that saying that Jordan Peterson should be on Twitter also means that they believe that Jordan Peterson said something that was okay and right and fair. I would rather police that difference. I would rather say, okay, hundred percent free speech. You should stay on Twitter, but also isn't how, isn't he a jerk? Isn't he a real piece of shit? Let's spend time. Let's spend time two minutes in the segment talking about what a piece of shit he is, but you don't even get there. You, You don't get, you don't, Robbie and Kim will not stay in Jordan Peterson's and a piece of shit as long as we're going back and forth about the Twitter piece of it or evading the Twitter piece of it. And some people will say, oh, Brianna, you're too accommodating. Like you're, you're too willing to agree with the right. Like you should just, you should, you should take Ole's position, which is just to give a full throated, robust defense of trans people more broadly. And there's a case for that. There's obviously a lot of people who really resonated with, and I think that both things have to exist in the world. But in that audience, <laughs> the, radar, the the rising audience, they, they like they're not going to hear that. And all they heard was, "Here comes another liberal. Here comes another leftist who doesn't care about my First Amendment rights." Yeah, and and I I, I am willing to concede that the the young left, um, like the really young the the people who seem to be not sock puppet accounts on Twitter are teenagers. And of course, teenagers don't understand the first amendment. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there, we just need to have a lot more discourse about this, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think I, I like the, I like the way you're thinking about how to move the conversation. Um, I just wonder if, um, like I say, if, if we can, if we're, you know, if there's like darker forces that are keeping us from doing that. Yeah, when I was looking at the woman who was leading the Netflix protest post Dave Chappelle, um, yeah. she had been in trouble before for saying a bunch of anti-Asian stuff on Twitter. She was a, a, a Warren surrogate. Um, the the kind of she's black trans woman. And she was wearing like a kind of a drapey white outfit and a little white turban during the Netflix protest. Sorry, I'm not doing a very good job describing <laughs> her, but like. You know, I was like, oh, she looks familiar. It's because she has been in her own bigoted hot water on Twitter before. <laughs> and they had her out front arguing about Dave Chappelle. It's like, you are not the one. Like, you are not, you know, you're not sitting your best. <laughs> like, she was not a good interlocutor to be there in that moment because her own credibility was undermined mm-hmm. by her own past actions. And and she did have this, like, maximalist critique that I felt like wasn't, like, there, there's no doubt that tra- that he said transphobic stuff in the special, but now we're having this other conversation about all this other stuff that like people might have more of a disagreement about. And so I feel like over and over again, like my, my, it, the re- reason I started writing and became involved in left, the left media space is because I saw all of these l- l- broad left takes that I broadly agreed with, but that people took a little too far and completely undermined our legitimacy so whether it's okay, cultural appropriation, that's what was real hot in like 2016. Yeah. Everyone was trying to make me believe that the biggest issue in my life as a black person needed to be that Kim Kardashian wore 
cornrows. And I promise you, I don't give a shit. (laughs) And I was like, cultural appropriation, there's something there. There's something there that's a problem. And let me like just give it a thought about, okay, what is my issue with it? Is it that Kim Kardashian is wearing cornrows? No. It's that black women who wear natural hairstyles to work get penalized economically. They get fired. They don't get hired. Black women aren't able to wear natural hair in the military. Black women who wear these hairstyles are often penalized economically. Mm-hmm. Whereas these white women are celebrated for the same thing. My actual issue is the disparate economic effects of how these, you know, features, these cultural traits are being perceived. And that's where my focus should be. So I don't really care about if some random on the street wears their hair a certain way. I might, in my internally be like, mm, suspect, but like, <laughs> that's not actually <laughs> political. That's just my vibes and preferences. What we should talk about is why is it that a white person is able to get financing and open a taco stand more easily than someone of Mexican descent? You know, like that should be the conversation. Let's just narrow the argument a little bit so we don't get the absurdities of right wingers saying, well, if you don't like cultural appropriation, then you shouldn't be allowed to speak English or play the violin if you're not European. You know, like we we open the door to those absurd arguments when we make our own absurd arguments. No, yeah, I was in I was in Portland for a few months in 2016, and it was it was it was yeah the height of that. Like there, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like if a restaurant had the wrong name, a bunch of white people were trying to shut it down for being racist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I wonder if any of that was real now. I mean, I didn't wonder it then, mm-hmm. but now I'm like, what was that? Mm-hmm. Like, whose idea was it to make us look that? But, you know, there's the world's full of crazy people, so it could have yeah. just been organic. <laughs> and that's the, that's the tragic truth. The world is full of crazy people, and it really just could have been organic. We're all yeah, useful really idiots. Are, mm-hmm. There are so few trans people, I think. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. we're saying it's part of conversation of, uh, more of us all the time are being willing to come out and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there really are, like you said, you're having a hard time uh, finding someone to have mm-hmm. a conversation with. And I suggested uh, ContraPoints because even though she's not a lawyer, I think uh, philosophers can get deep into constitutional issues and stuff in a way that, you know. Oh, for it, sure. She's, I mean, she's brilliant and would be great. I, I do have this reluctance to be like, Contra, come talk about, you're, like, you're the one you know, most famous left trans person come argue with Kim Iverson with me. (laughs) I'm a little reluctant to do that, but maybe I will ask her. But yeah, I mean, I I think, I think she's like only famous, like to us, (laughs) but maybe I'm wrong. uh... ContraPoints. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's fair to me. It's like, Oh, celebrity, you know, back in the day. And I hope nobody goes and digs this up because I'm sure it's a cringe for both of us. But before Contra was like as big as she is now, this, this was again probably like 2016, maybe 2017. Uh, we did a YouTube video together where we talked about Rachel Dolezal and the idea of being post-racial and transracial and, you know, oh digging into that question of like, what is the difference between Rachel Dolezal and, and a trans person? And I think it was a good conversation because we were both um, tiptoeing around each other. Like she was tiptoeing around race stuff and I was tiptoeing around <laughs> trans stuff. And we were both on the back foot enough to be gracious with each other. You know, like <laughs> we both like were accommodating of each other because we were both like equally out of our own territory. Right. And, you know, I would love to, I mean, I, I know that she's great in those conversations and I have no doubt that she would be a great guest in this. So maybe, maybe I will DM her and see if I can get her to do it. Um, but if anyone has any other suggestions, you know, like I, 
the, the, you're, you're great. Like people who call into the show are great. I have wonderful conversations with trans people all the time on Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter, like in, in, in some of these media spaces, it does feel a little less common to have a, a more nuanced level of conversation. And again, it's this 99% of black people are like this too, but I'm in the black community and I know how to find the people who can come on the show and have the more difficult conversations and don't just do that knee jerk. Oh, I shouldn't have to explain anything to you. Read a book. You're attacking my personhood. All of that. Like <laughs> I, 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 I get that. And I respect people who feel that way, but like that doesn't make for a good conversation. Right. So please recommendations always, 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 always for trans interlocutors who can like get into the weeds with us here. Um, but thanks for calling in Beckham. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right, Andrew, what's on your mind? Can you unmute yourself, Andrew? Hey there. Sorry. You were in my pocket. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I How's feel like um, oh, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm doing well. I'm, you say I'm in your pocket, like I'm Stuart Little or um, <laughs> being in, in the cupboard or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I don't like either of those as much now that I've seen Adventure Time, and I'm like Jake the dog all the way. He can just shape shift into any size, so he's always chilling in people's <laughs> pockets or being really giant. <laughs> I've watched a few episodes, but you're making me feel like I have to go back and, and get more knowledgeable than the zeitgeist. Well, let me tell you, um, I DM'd you those two prophecies the other day. I will DM you some really 25 out of 10 stars Adventure Time episodes if you want. <laughs> Perfect. Please. I always okay. need more content to watch. Turn off my brain. Yeah, I'm, uh, good point. Yeah, I was going to say you're probably busy, but you, you seem to have a good like life balance or value for your own chilling out, being sane times. <laughs> I'm trying. I mean, I was going to go and try to head to the pool today before the sun set, but I don't know if I'm going to make it. You guys are too ah, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Jeez. Uh, but no, I had um, a couple of thoughts. Um, one about price controls. Dang, I had another thought that I thought of earlier that was, that was going to be a good starter, but that's okay. Price controls. Um, I think there's like used to sticking more to the American context. So, you know, the office of what was it? Budget and price controls under FDR. And then there was the Nixon example in the, the seventies. But I feel like mm -hmm. neither of those are really done. Like as far as you would need to do a price control, because people aren't, people aren't wrong saying that doing a price control is going to have effects on the economy. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a point Richard Wolf makes really well is, anything you do is going to have effects on the economy. Mm. You just have to kind of, you know, be brave and do it. Yeah. There's and winners and something. losers all the time. And just maintaining the status quo doesn't mean you're still not picking winners and losers. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think like bringing up the, uh, the Soviet union is very polarizing, but to my understanding, the price of bread did not increase in the Soviet union from 1928 until it was, people say collapsed. I, I think overthrown is fair. Mm. Um, but anyways, that um, that's a pretty ast astonishingly long time to not have an increase in the cost of bread. And also like rent was constantly 5% of income. Mm. Uh, 
So, you know, when I was a student, oops, sorry, I write sorry, long sorry. essays. I was good. I thought that was me. I was like, no, I, I just Googled the pocket. truth about breadlines in the Soviet Union and there was a video <laughs> search audio autoplay. My bad. Yeah. You know, Michael Parenti, right? Mm-hmm. He's got some good uh, descriptions of the U.S. Western propaganda on scarcity in the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, let me take a note. Yeah, there was there was I, I don't remember the video off the top of my head, but there was one where he mentioned like all these different articles. It was sometime in the mid to late 80s talking about how the Soviet Union had to import so much wheat. Um, and it was and, and the Western papers were arguing that it was because their system was a failure and their people are starving. When in reality, the Soviet Union actually like eradicated famines for the time mm-hmm. from like the 40s to the 90s. Mm-hmm. And then what do you know, once capitalism came in again in the 90s, there were famines. Um, but mm-hmm. the, the point that Parenti made was that essentially they, via somewhat popular demand, were trying to increase the amount of meat in the average Soviet citizen's diet. And so they were feeding more of their homegrown grains to the... Anyway, I'm getting really in the weeds, but the point is there wasn't actually like food shortages for you know, more than half of the time the Soviet Union existed. Mm, um, mm. Anyways, I think that price controls and MMT should be explored. But like with MMT, maybe it's because I haven't delved in long enough, but I just hear people be like, yeah, we should just print money to pay everyone checks. And I'm like, good, yes, that should be like step one. But Ultimately, one of the earlier callers mentioned that it's a, it's a privilege to be able to have a sovereign currency like that, which is true. Mm. Like the only reason the U.S. can print money without having the kind of knee-jerk inflation that people talk about when they mention printing money is because so much like international trade is done in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Like it's something like 80% of assets worldwide are held or traded in U.S. dollars between countries. Um, which is just insane. So that means when we're printing money, it's not necessarily all just inflating the cost of a loaf of bread in the United States, because a lot of that is going around the world to United Arab Emirates or the Saudis or whoever for oil or it's mostly oil. (laughs) But um, if we don't use MMT to like swiftly build up a productive industry base that actually makes, you know, people talked about essential workers, like, you know, employs essential workers to make essential goods. I view it as like, I view it as like you have a window of time to do um, quantitative easing in a positive direction. I mean, we do quantitative easing all the time for the rich. Um, But if we were to try, you know, imagine that there's all of a sudden a people's government and they're going to do some MMT style policies that utilize our privilege with the dollar. um, I think it would really quickly have to go, from like the checks are just a really short term thing to within five years, we're going to have auto manufacturing, decentralized agriculture, you know, the Flint water crisis is going to be no more because we're going to build new infrastructure there, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't happen, then I do see like, it's just going to be, it's just going to have Gavin Newsom's gross mug grinning off over the top of it in everybody's mind. Yeah. I do think, I think that that's right. Perversely. America. I'm telling you, this week in France, <laughs> Americans have this, we're so brainwashed and propagandized. We really do think there's no first thing with a free lunch and I'm a horrible, pathetic worm if I ever need assistance or take assistance. And I do think that there's a, like a limit to the 
the check popularity stuff, if it's not channeled into some kind of program that seems both more long-term and less like a quote-unquote handout. So, I, I mean, I, I do agree with that. Um, and also, you know, the MNTers, again, you should go back and listen to, I guess I interviewed Stephanie Kelton for the Bernie show, but there's a million interviews she's done, obviously, where she talks about, you know, how the inflationary effects that you anticipate from all the stories about Zimbabwe and currency and all of that happen. I mean, obviously, Professor Kaboob explains why that one particular one happened, that it wasn't just because of the printing of the money. But it also happens when you don't spend it into the economy in a way that is efficient and actually in sectors that need there to be pr- production, you know, whether it's yeah. building something or funding, p- paying people salaries or whatever. It's a problem when it's just given to rich people and sitting in bank accounts, which is what we normally do. Um, and or that it's like a problem when it's like redundant and you already have the bridge and someone's just building a second bridge for shits and giggles and you know, that sort of a thing. I know I'm doing a really terrible job. MMTers, I hear you like Jonathan in my head saying that I'm doing a terrible job with this. Go listen to those episodes. Um, you have a little bit of somebody talking in your background, Andrew. Sorry, you yeah. Beat yourself when you're not talking. About I, it. Go, I will. Go ahead. It's just, my hands are wet. <laughs> okay. Um, go ahead. Uh, I I okay. Uh, shoot. Okay. No. Yes. To the point you just said also about the, like the culture of individualism to, at, to your own detriment. Like my grandpa's in his late eighties now and he came down with a pretty heavy duty disease. That's kind of like cancer in 2020. Mm, I'm sorry. And like, fortunately, no, it's okay. Like he's still kicking. Um, we're very fortunate that he's on the non privatized version of Medicare. And also that my dad doesn't work full time and, I was living with my parents, so we just took care of him. But like when we would, when we would help him out, when he like could hardly walk and was like passing out just from standing up, and like my aunt is a like she does nails, she would come and do his his like hands and feet. Mm-hmm. He would like insist on paying us, and we're like, dude, you're all good, man. We literally would not be around if it weren't for you. You don't have to pay us every time that we mm-hmm. help you out. And he just can't he can't let go. Mm-hmm. He's 88 now. Or almost. I don't remember. He's 88 or 87. But he um, he just can't let go of that. And I think that that is a thing. Like, no one's actually arguing that lunch is free. We're just arguing we pay for it with taxes. Right. Or, like, and with our labor. pay for it with... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we're just not being compensated fairly for it. Yeah. And it's like, my grandpa could not get through his head the the idea that he has more than... If he wants to think of it on a purely transactional monetary basis, he has more than paid for the right for me to like, you know, help him out with his skin problem or help him take a walk or whatever without having to hand me or like I was cutting his hair and he Mm -hmm. was like paying me 20 bucks. And I was like, dude, thank you, but please stop doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I also remembered my, my other third point, but I, I wanted to shut up for a second. If you had other no, thoughts. Go ahead. Let's hit, us, hit us with the third point. The third point, uh, the, it's kind of a, kind of a funny extraneous point about like, do we call it chest feeding? Like mm. the other day, my wife was talking to her mom about, um, this like friend of theirs who had a young baby. And she was like, I don't know. Like, I think maybe the baby is like sick or has a developmental problem. Cause he's like looking this kind of way. And her mom, and this is all in Spanish. And her mom was like, Hmm, well asking these, you know, questions to diagnose what's up with the baby. Mm -hmm. And, and she was like, 
uh, are they feeding it formula? And my wife was like, no, all chest. And the other way they, they either say like they're feeding the baby chest or like they're giving the baby the chest mm-hmm. or they'll say like, uh, they're giving the baby tits like titty. Mm-hmm. So it's like, one of the, <laughs> like those are your options in Spanish. And it's like, I know it's different in English, but like, calm the fuck down. Like, yeah, yeah I, just, none of it is that serious. I, <laughs> it's just, it's not that serious. Agree. Like also, by the way, like, I don't know. There are, I feel like cis men get breast cancer. Like yeah, you also, can get like a lot of cis men. If you, you know, put on some weight, you will have a breast. Like a breast is not something that only a cis woman can have. You true. know, anybody with fatty tissue on their chest can have a breast. So I presume that if you're a trans man and you're, you know, breastfeeding, it's still from something. I don't know. Maybe I'm going too far. But well, it's there's still no cis a- men that have breastfed. Like, I don't know how common it is, but there are, you know, completely white bread, picket fence type of American dudes who have breastfed. There's articles about it. I don't know how. Yeah, again, sure. I don't know if it's I, like I'm one just a saying like, a baby sucking milk, if there's something in there, it's going to be a breast looking thing, right? It's going to be breast. <laughs> it's going to have some volume to it. It's going to be a breast. Also, they're all breasts. <laughs> yeah. Okay, they're all breasts. Because, you know, flat-chested women, we still call that a breast. I know plenty of men. I'm just saying. I know plenty of cis men <laughs> with some titties. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> God bless. You know? <laughs> God <Yeah>. bless. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear you and, like, Stavros Halkius do a <laughs> <laughs> He would knock that out of the park. I was just talking about him today. <laughs> I was just talking about, oh, can I get Stav on the program? Would anybody? Would that be what to, you definitely to weird can. world collides? Yeah, well. no, that'd be great. I know <laughs> Rania Kolick is mostly doing like serious, you know, foreign policy interview stuff, and then she just did one with uh, Felix Biderman today. So we'll fucking yeah. go for it. He lives in Baltimore, and I'm in Baltimore a lot. And I would love to. I would love to interview him in person. Let's see. Let's see if we can get that going. I'll add that to the list. Right on. Hey, I was gonna send you. Oh, Adventure Time episodes. Yeah, I'm gonna get off the call because. I've been taking up plenty of time. You got like 20 more callers, but it's been lovely. Thank you. It's great hearing from you, Andrew. Keep the faith. Right on. Um, Day, my friend, long time no talk. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing quite well. What have you been up to? What's on your mind this evening? I've missed you too. I know. I've been been having to like watch stuff on like the replays of stuff because I've been busier than expected lately but all good things so i was super excited to be able to jump on tonight so okay you. good well it's i know i know the the audience you're like an audience favorite so hit hit us with us what's on your mind not not to build you up or put too much yeah, pressure like, on you <laughs> today i'm not even going that deep i actually just wanted to shoot the craps but um so i kind of wanted to be- circle back to kamala for a moment and then Please. ask you a question. So I need to rant for like 10 seconds and then Go for it. ask you the question. So I just want to know, like, does Kamala not see the feedback that she gets? Because <laughs> I know, like, this may sound surprising, but despite my political differences with her, I want her to at least be competent because after years of no female or Black VPs, like, my good sis can't go in there messing up the church's money. It's, like, embarrassing. <laughs> so, like, she said, because it's, like, I was watching the interview. I was, like, she says so much while saying so little. But then it's, mm-hmm. like, if I were to say, okay, if Marianne Williamson were to do an interview like that, they would have maligned her mm-hmm. in the public. But it's, like, Kamala gets up there and it's just, like, wow, wow, just, uh. 
So I'm just like, who was writing her? Who's her speechwriter? Like, does she have a coach? It's like she, it's like, I don't know. It's like, does she not get tired of coming off as a joke? Because I'm like, Biden can barely read a teleprompter. So the bar isn't even that high and she still can't do a pull-up. Like, it's supposed mm-hmm. to be off. Anyways, but I wanted to know, since you've worked on a campaign, what is prep like for interviews? Because maybe I'm missing a part in this. Okay. Like, I, okay, this is such a good question. I was just telling people like this at this wedding, about this at this wedding, because obviously we're all talking about the Kamala stuff over at breakfast and whatnot. <laughs> okay. I... I will give her some, you know, my good faith reading of this and giving her all the credit in the world. I will say that at no point when I was national press secretary for Bernie Sanders, did anyone really ask me to prep for anything ever Mm, to the extent that I knew what was happening and wanted to not look like an idiot in front of the media. I personally was reviewing policy that came out going up to the policy tables in the, in the corner, you know, it's like an open plan office, mm-hmm. going over to the policy department and bugging them to tell me things and explain things to me that didn't make sense. Sometimes much to their chagrin because they felt like they were busy and didn't feel like telling me things. And one particular member of the policy team that I wasn't that fond of used to tell me like, this is on a need to know basis. And I would be like, ah, oh, I need wow. to know. Um, but most of them are great, obviously. And I was really shocked because when I was hired for the job, I mean, truly, I did not apply to this job. I was not sitting around thinking, I think I would be a great spokesperson for Bernie Sanders, the best one he could pick. Totally, it should be me. No, they asked me to do this. And I presumed that they they asked me knowing that I didn't have any experience doing this. I had never worked on a campaign before. I had barely been a journalist, but for like 10 months. So I expected to get a lot of prep and that they were seeing that I had aptitude, not necessarily that I already had the ability. And I was really shocked, to be honest, by the lack of media training we got. There was one, I think, a couple of weekends where they had a woman come in and sit down with a handful of us who were going to be public facing. Me, Balenciaga, the Latino press secretary, and like a couple of others in the comms department who might on occasion be press facing. And we sit down with her and had basic advice about how to answer questions and have good posture and, you know, be nice to the camera people and the, and the staff who are filming you like really basic stuff, (laughs) but that was it. And moreover, when I did interviews, there wasn't someone with like sitting there with feedback for the most part. Occasionally my casket would be like, Oh, that was a good hit here. Maybe do this differently or that. But like for the most part, there was like, it was like, it never happened. Like no one came up to me before or after to tell me anything about anything. So I don't know if that's usual, But that's how that was for me. Moreover, Bernie was not the kind of person who liked a lot of prep either. So you couldn't really tell him anything before he did an appearance either, which I also thought was going to be more of the role when I was hired. And I would watch Bernie's interviews and I would have feedback or I would watch other people. I remember once Bill de Blasio did this amazing hit. I don't remember where. At some point in the campaign, he had dropped out and he did this amazing hit where he represented Bernie so well in the campaign so well. I said, oh, here's some notes to take about we should be saying these things to Blasio said. Or once, one time it was Michael Moore who did a really great hit. And I was like, oh, he answered those questions in a way I wouldn't have thought of, but that really went over well with the audience. This is, this should be, somebody should be synthesizing this and pushing this out to all the surrogates because these are some great answers these guys came up with. There was nothing like that. So let me get back to your question. Your question is what's no, going on with Kamala? It would it would totally not surprise me if they were like throwing her under the bus 
and leaving her to her own devices. And that's why she sounds like she doesn't know what she's talking about most of the time. That being said, if it were me and I was out here looking like boo-boo the fool, I would be educating myself because that's what I did. I was like, you're not going to catch me looking like an idiot. I'm just going to learn what I need to, to know. And I, yeah. so I still put it on her ultimately, even if, Agreed. you know, I think that clearly they're not like, she's not a moron. Like, you know, she, no. she's not unable to do a better job than she's doing currently. So the fact that no one is intervening and saying like, Hey, like next time you get this question, here's the answer. Although I will also say more evidence that they're just not prepping her well. And the administration is not doing a good job disseminating information. is Karine Jean-Pierre who also mm, I think is not, they're not saying their best. <laughs> like, she, but see, and she, she's pissing me off because I'm like, well, as a gay person and as a black person, girl, correct. like, come on now, like, represent us well. What's going on? I'm, correct. I don't want people to be using these, and I hate to say that because, you know, for us, it's twice as good for half the credit. Like, I hate to be that person, but I'm like, come on, y'all. Even right. if I don't like you, like, be good at what you're doing. Yeah, say what you want to say about Jen Psaki, and we said it all. Was she was prepared. She, yeah. to the extent that she was being evasive, you didn't feel like it was because she didn't know the answer to the questions because, like, it's, you don't need to know the answer to that question. <laughs> like, I'm not going to tell you that. Like, I'm yeah. choosing not to tell you that. Even Kaylee McEnany was effective. Kaylee McEnany was very was good at her job. Absolutely. She was excellent at her job. Even Sarah's, the Huckabee Sanders, all of them, like, look like Mensa candidates compared to Karine Jean-Pierre. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She pulled out the Book of Shadows and I was like, wow. <laughs> on the, on the actual, in front of the camera? Really? What do you mean she oh, put wow. out the Book of Shadows? You, had, she, you didn't see her when she had her binder because somebody asked a question and she said, oh, hold on. Let me look. And no. she went through her, oh my God, no, she literally said, give me a second and went through her binder to see what the answer was. And I was just like, you can't be serious. <laughs> just make it up. Like, most of the time we're not doing it. They're not doing anything anyway. Just like, we're looking into that. Like, just make up. Right. I was, you have to find that clip, Brie. Like, it is hilarious. Right. Like, Saki just used to be like, I'll circle back to that. Like, mm-hmm. there are things you can say that in the line of inquiry without you looking like a moron, you know, it's unsatisfying mm-hmm. to us as, like, Americans, citizens who want to know answers. But, like, when, when Jin Saki says, we'll circle back to that, at least she's, like, preserving her own, like, optics. It's so cringe. Kareem, like, I Kareem, really need you to see it. <laughs> it couldn't be me. I'm sorry. Like, you're sitting me out there in front of the entire United States of America repeatedly to look like an idiot. <laughs> oh, no. My, uh, my, adrenal, my adrenal glands could not take it. No. I would be I'm having like, to pop so much Xanax. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what. I don't know. They must be paying her in, you know, gold bullion. Because I, I don't know, I don't know how much money it would have to be for me to take that kind of abuse and that public humiliation on a daily basis, and bring down black people. At the same time. Listen, <laughs> and, 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 but here you go. This is what makes it worse. Like she's probably only calling on establishment media, so they're not even asking her hard questions yet. Right. Like, I'm just like, girl. Okay. Like yesterday, you had two days. They said. Record inflation. So when somebody asks you a question about what are you all doing for inflation? Right. Why are you in the, why are you in the book of shadows? Like, right. you know, <laughs> and 
sorry. Yo, I'm so mad at you and this charmed. Yo, I'm so mad at you. Well, the one, the one that really got me was when they lobbed that softball at her about, don't you think Brett Kavanaugh deserves his privacy at the steak restaurant? Privacy, you say? Privacy? Did we just recently have a big Supreme Court case about privacy and whether there's a right to privacy? <laughs> Hello? Like, you, you're hoping for that question. Look, let me get that question. I'm going to start rubbing my hands together like Mr. Burns and salivating. Well, let me tell you, Ducey, let's let's talk about privacy. And she's still managed to, like, miss that. Like, she's not. You can see it in her face. Again, I don't think she's an unintelligent person. But you can see in her face that she is not active thinking. She is not She is not listening and processing and active thinking. She's up there looking terrified. Like, like you know how when you're really, really scared, your brain just shuts off and you're, like, flight mm-hmm. or fight? That's what she looks like. And I think that she probably has the capacity to do better and gets off stage and thinks, damn, I should have said X, Y, or Z. But you can tell from her demeanor that when she's up there, it's just panic mode. And it makes it so that she can't use her brain. And she's not, she's clearly not using her brain. She has a flight spirit. She has a flight spirit. But that's not, that's part of the requirements for the job. You can't have a flight spirit on stage. And I'm like, did no one go through like, in the interview process, was there no mock trials? Like nothing. Mm, There's no interview. there's no interview because oh, Biden told you what it was. And I hate this. I hate, I hate that I have to say this. I hate this. I hate this. But Biden told you what criteria he was looking for in a VP and it had nothing to do with capacity. I'm sorry. He said he was going to pick a black woman and he did. And that was the end of the interview. And I don't know if people were clamoring for to have the first black female queer press secretary i don't know if that was something that we were all like had on our bingo card i didn't get it at the meeting i didn't see it at the meeting but But apparently that's thought that's what they thought we wanted and that's what they gave us and i i wouldn't be surprised i'm sorry like i wouldn't be surprised they looked around and they said who could do this who's also black who can do this who's also a female who's who do this who's also lgbt and they found poor kareem who has been on MSNBC doing a capable job of towing whatever liberal line. And I don't think she's stupid. And she seems very nice. I think she's so cute. Like none of that is in dispute. (laughs) Her hair looks great. Like none of that is in dispute, (laughs) but she is failing very publicly. And it makes me very sad. Is this borderline? Okay. They're going to get mad. So y'all nobody clip this part. (laughs) <laughs> I low-key, I low-key, because it was just June, and then they put her in around that time, so I feel like it's both homophobic and racist, it's low, low, racist low-key, mm. to put somebody in there that's making Black people look bad and mm. making gay people look bad, but, you know, you can't say that about Biden, because he's clearly Black people's best friend since Bill Clinton, <laughs> but personally, I think if you put two, you pick two bad Black people to be in the administration, one Maybe this is the up. Maybe this is just, like, um, uh, the the trans call i'm sorry what was it? Bro- broderick i forget i'm sorry broderick am i just making that up because i just watched a nathan broderick movie matthew broderick movie but it's okay um with we the falcon in your avi it's just like what you what what they were saying about like uh you know all of these weird you know niche academic trans takes being foregrounded out here maybe it's true maybe kareen is an op and kamala is an op to convince people that Black people in high places are all, yeah, it's all affirmative action. And we ensure. misogynistic too. It's misogynistic too. Maybe I was part of the operation too, but they knew, they didn't, they they found the wrong one because I was going to do my homework. (laughs) Brianna Gray will study. (laughs) 
Listen, you put yeah. Barbara Lee, you put Nina Turner in there, they wouldn't have these type of outcomes. Exactly. Not, not to be disrespectful, but it's like, exactly. they, they never pick competent. I will, oh, actually, hold on. I will give fairness. Was it Katanji Jackson? The, the, the Supreme Katanji Court is, yes. Katanji, Katanji is, yes. She has, she is, she is enormously qualified and seemingly has good politics and is a decent human being. So they did, they gave us one good one. Yeah, <laughs> thank but that was thank you, Katanji. So you can't mess up for a whole lifetime, but like VP and press secretary, they're only there for a little bit. Maybe that was the thought. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, Dan, like I'm going to wrap on you because you. we're at two hours and um, <laughs> my dinner just arrived. <laughs> well, thank you uh, so much. But you, this has been great. You guys have been great. I'm going to make up the missed call-in from last week. I'm going to squeeze it in at some point during the week. So, like, if you don't follow me on Instagram, that's usually where I post earliest. Obviously, I post it on Twitter as well. But I, I always try to do an Instagram post with the link to it. It's at B as in boy, joy as in happy, G as in gray, B-J-O-Y-G on Instagram. And hopefully I will see you guys soon later in the week. Ooh, I mentioned a song earlier. That I wanted to go out on. Of course, now my computer is being. Oh, your girl needs to buy a new computer. Pretend I'm playing us out to Celine Dion. There were times when the wind was so bold. Just pretend that's happening. It's not me singing. And my body, sometimes time is not outside the window. Ah, window. Okay, you get the drift. See you guys soon. Love you. Bye. (laughs) 